It's episode 17 of your favorite legacy podcast, Elo Punters. What's up? My name's Anurag Das, and I'm back again with Bob Wong and Daniel Gochel. After yeah, a quick minute or two, uh, we are here now to vibe with you, talk about all the sort of stuff that's happened, you know, just between us and then in legacy, yada, yada, yada. You know, you know the drill, right? Bob, Daniel, what's up? Yo, yo, what's good? Yeah. Good to be back. Nice. Just Daniel? for the record, though, are we really a legacy podcast or are we a... Uh all variety podcasts uh that's a really deep ethical question that we'll probably have to save for another episode when we actually break down the whys and the hellos and the, okay this is the dumb thing uh daniel <laughs> how are you doing oh good good yeah just uh sitting you, here you watching, like you're milk, <laughs> watching milk jars get opened and now uh, you're watching milk jars get opened so for context we we were going to record about 10 15 minutes ago but bob was like wait I need to have my friend come over so they can unscrew this milk jar. And so we all waited 15 minutes and I, we, we, we got to live stream the milk jar opening, which was kind of nice. But uh, I see what you're saying, dude. Uh, Daniel, I feel like a lot has happened in this past weekend and you are the bearer of good news. So before we get into this, I guess let's let's do the usual. You know the drill, right? Thank you to our new patrons. We've got Adam, Christopher, Francis, Zach, Andreas, Yosuke, Drew, Isaac, Ride Del, Gu Del, Ride Del Guano? That's a cool name. Keegan, Maxine, Allen, Jan, Lissa, Jonathan, Pedro, Eli, and Joel. Thank you so much for um, checking out the Patreon and supporting us that way. We we definitely do appreciate that. And also, special shout out to our editor, uh, Ellie of the Veil, at Ellie of the Veil. Liz does a bang-up job of making us and our, you know, baboonish, goonish, whatever, audio sound actually listenable. So thank you so much for that. A uh, big update. Okay, cool. So... Uh, you'll notice there was a, like a long gap between when we last recorded and now, and I can't even say it. Bob, you got to do it. You got to do it. it just uh, brings yeah, tears to my rough, eyes. Rough stuff, but uh, I think we decided that there just wasn't really that many things to talk about. Like the idea of this podcast kind of was to cover recent tournaments, but um, a a lot of those tournaments kind of moved to arena, which um, you know it is what it is, and. Like basically, we're we're kind of moving to a more like more something closer to a monthly cadence. Where like whenever there's a big event or stuff to talk about, we'll record, and it might be every three weeks uh, or every month. But uh, we're gonna basically not be doing every other week until real uh, in real life events come back, which hopefully will be sometime next year. But um, you know, fingers crossed. I have two important updates to tell you right now. The first is I'm about to sneeze, and then the second one is I really like that you use the word cadence. I thought that was kind of cool, but. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to like, you know, stop doing Patreon content. So we do have some stuff coming up for uh, the Patreon, right? Daniel, you got some stuff coming up and Bob is trying to get me to do some stuff too. So uh, what's up? What's up with that? Hit me. Hit me. Uh, yeah, I could I could put another rug Delver guide with zero. I guess uh, I'll do that. But it's only going to be a few cards different from the previous one. And I, I might add my Pioneer Brew uh, to it. I've been brewing in Pioneer. I could talk about that a little bit. The only one of a kind on that deck, so I might add, I could add a cyborg guide for that, but I'm still tuning it, so I don't want to put it too premature. What's interesting about your Omnath brew versus, I guess, the stock Omnath list I've been seeing running around? Is there a Pongo. stock one? What's the stock one like? That ramp deck? Um, I think there. I, I don't know if there's a stock one yet, but I definitely have seen a lot of Omnath lists that look more similar than different. It's basically the standard deck or the historic yeah. deck ported over to Pioneer. <laughs> You know, with Escape to the Wilds, that kind of thing. Yeah, the difference is I uh, didn't just copy the standard deck and play in Pioneer. <laughs> I 
yeah, I built the deck. I don't know if it's a good deck, but I built it from the scratch up where I was playing Omnas. Uh, like, it's kind of a deck I built from the scratch up where I was just playing. I tried a Jeskai, a Yorion, Fires Omnas deck. And then from casting Omnas, I realized all the cards that I wanted around my Omnas so that my deck would function. Like, I thought Nissa's the best 5-drop to cast off Nissa, off, off Omnas. So I put Nissa in my deck, and then I just built the deck around Omnas and, and this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, to give a... It's a very quick break, breakdown of the deck. It's basically like a ramp flash hybrid deck because I have like I have spell queller too, which is a card people don't usually play. I have two spell colors in the main. I'm also playing two jewelry elves. I'm not sure on the jewelry elves yet, but hey, you're a I jewelry like elf fan. Yeah, I have two jewelry elves in the main. I also have two two gusts in the main. But yeah, spell queller is not usual. But I'm playing four Osevnissa, so basically ponder. Uh, but it's good with Teferi because I can bounce with Teferi. But also there's a lot of aggro decks and well, actually the main reason I play spell queller is the counter spells are very bad in the format. So if you want to main deck a counter spell, like it's like Mystical Dispute or Negate or Disdainful Stroke, like or Acer. Is Gust. Absorb really bad still? I mean, yeah, Absorb seems like I would I would rather play Neutralize, like it's cancel. So the thing about Spell Queller is that if you play against Aggro decks, it's actually a pretty good blocker. Um, and also it combos with Teferi and it combos with Os of Nissa, and it's just a flash creature that's just good. Like you it's it's really good with Teferi, obviously, the combo that you bounce it and then you exile their spell and you get to do it. So yeah, I play, but also it's just a big blocker. Like people play a lot of small creatures in this format, and having counter spells is really bad against creatures. But if they play a rabble master, or, like you can ambush a lot of stuff in the format. And um, yeah, it's, and I play like shark typhoons, and I have one hydroid crazy sometimes. Too, I have four Uros in the deck. My sideboard, I have a bunch of board wipes and counter spells, and you can play whatever you know you want to play. Like if you want to play hate cards, and I play like twenty. Okay, 20 I definitely lands. want to see this because it sounds like. I it's mean, you said like seven digest. different cards that I am a huge fan of. You said Teferi, you said Shark Typhoon, you said Ponder. Like, hey, I'm yeah, sold. Yeah, Osa has really overperformed for me. I think people like. I think that card is really good. It's also really good with Teferi. Like Teferi, Osa is really. very good in the deck because the the best things you can assemble in the deck is Omnas plus Fable Passage plus Nissa. It just helps you do that. It helps you find Teferi or Uro. It helps you find um, lands because you want a lot of lands in your deck. Like I'm playing 27 or 28 lands. I have to check again. Uh, yeah, I've been really liking it. I, di I didn't play it much this week, but like last week I was playing it a lot last week, like before Eternal Weekend. And since the mocks is coming up, I might be uh, tuning it a bit more to see if anybody's going to play it in the mocks, dude, because I want to get some, my brew in the mocks, you know what I mean? It's going to be funny. When is the mocks? It's uh, November 28th. Okay, so you got a little bit of time. Yeah, I'm not playing it. It's No, that's not mine, but there's another one, but I want I want to see if people are going to play it. Like, I want to see if people are going to net deck my brew. So I'm going to try to make my brew real good so that they want to net deck it, you know what I mean? And then I want to see people play my brew. That's It's, like, fun for, <laughs> you know. I'm trying to farm you. that clout. I respect it. I respect it. Bob, uh, what have you been up to in the past month or so? I feel like, I feel like if anyone has sort of, like, taken a backseat in the Magic game, I feel like it's been you. I don't remember the last time I heard you really talk about like yeah, magic. it's been a while. Like I played leagues of Esper Vile, but that was a month ago now. Um, so I haven't touched Legacy since then. I've been playing Hollow Vine and Vintage, which having mixed results with Daniel sounds like he's been doing better. Uh, apparently, there's like a new Hollow Vine list going around that cut the Venge Vines to play more Krovic and Horrors. And if for those who don't know what Krovic and Horror is, it's basically Squee, but it only returns to your hand on your end step if there's a creature on top of it. Now, very careful readers will note that the oracle text reads directly above it. I took this to mean if there's a creature over it, you're good. But no, the creature must be directly on top of it. And I think both me and Daniel made that mistake when we first played uh, with the card. But I think we're both testing it out. And, uh, you know, uh, we might play in the Eternal Weekend Vintage this weekend, depending on how things go. 
So yeah. I'm excited for that. Yeah, if I don't That's... like the bizarre deck, I'm pretty likely to just play Doomsday because it's a pretty. I like the that kind of deck too. Doomsday, so. just like saying it, you know, makes you like feel something inside. It's but... just like so much. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I was just gonna say it's so much better in vintage. Like it's like the best Doomsday deck. Like it's absurd because you have ancestral yeah, black yeah. lotus in the pile. Your piles are just so easy to make, and like you've got like. Just like I mean, playing playing Doomsday with all just like the ridiculous blue cards. I mean, Doomsday is already good in Legacy, and, and just imagine taking it to the next level in Vintage. I, I I definitely vibe. I'm picking up what you're putting down there. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, though I will say about being easy to play, I seem to lose every single time I cast it last night. So I definitely have some uh, learning to do with Doomsday. I played a League of it last night, and it it wasn't it wasn't pretty. That's all I'll say about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say it does seem like the deck that like. You know, while it's easier to play now that it's Thassa's Oracle instead of Tendrils, it still seems like you need some reps, or at least to, like, you know, follow along a player or read some sort of guide before I would touch it at least. Facts, yeah. Um, I think reps are very important. On my end, I'm trying to think, right? So, like, I've been playing a lot of Legacy still, because, like, I, I guess, like, I've... That's just, like, my brand, right? Like, I, I just stream a bunch of Legacy. But I, I can't even really tell you what I've streamed in the past month or so it just it's felt like a not necessarily one thing but a lot of different decks and a lot of different formats and like a lot of not legacy too uh been streaming some among us which has been pretty cool as well um but you already know that uh i feel like for me it's it's been less so about like what decks i'm playing and like what kind of magic content i'm creating so i'm still dishing out those channel fireball videos i did a really sweet uh channel fireball matchup analysis uh with uh daniel and then uh, a friend uh, from France, Louis Bachot, who and it was like Rug Delver versus Grixis Delver, and we got to see like both sides of the matchup and both players' perspectives. And uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. And I really want to do more of that kind of stuff. So yes, if you if you want to see a specific matchup in a channel fireball video with like some of the best players analyzing what to do and why, you know, just reach out to us, and I'll definitely uh, you know factor that in there. Um, but also like recently I, I I joined Team Lotus Box, which is pretty cool. I've been working with Zan and the rest of uh, the the team on a lot of stuff. Just figuring out like my 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 job for there is like so I'm I'm working with Zan on a podcast. It's it's an interesting podcast that I don't know if I should chill it here. I'll fucking I'll chill it here where we talk about um like the state of magic and like how to make it better compared to other esports. And then besides that, uh, we're working on the Anzi Invitational number two. Let's get fucking hyped about that. Um, so I don't know if you guys remember. Did you the find first... a sponsor or you, you know, daddy money bags? Well, I mean, yes and yes, because uh, you know I just been straight carrying through these Magic Online leagues. But no, yeah, yeah. So we're working with Dice City Games on on this one, and it's gonna be pretty awesome. So Dice City Games is a local uh, in the the DC esque area. Uh, the owner Jimmy is super awesome super enthused about you know just like older formats like legacy and vintage but also like old school itself he's got a pretty sick deck and he's he's just a kind of guy who's like really into collectibles turn it into you know from a hobby into like a, a a job that he's super passionate about and it's super awesome to see and you know i just good vibes all around i'm really excited to do this uh it's so the first invitational was just like a custom format no lab no veil thing and that was kind of cool but what i really want to do is like start doing a lot more um Tournament creation on my own end, I just feel like there's a huge opportunity, a huge market, especially when it comes to legacy, to to put up like, you know, just really good tournament opportunities for people to play in and provide some solid coverage. I know Zan has also been getting into some internal formats and like he's 
super smart, super awesome to hang out, listen to, work with, and all that sort of stuff. So for the next Invitational, it's going to be pretty awesome. It is locked in as a 1K tournament, but like there have been a lot of cool things that have gone on. So like, for example, Tom Hep has donated about 500 tickets worth of value to add into the prize pool. Uh, I'm going to personally be donating some extra value from my end, whether it's like Channel Fireball store credit or some additional tickets that, you know, I've got laying around that, you know, I'm not going to really do much with it. And I, I, I don't know. It's just like one of those things where you're like, People who are really invested in the format are coming together to sort of just, you know, let it breathe a little bit, like blossom into something super, super cool. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. In more recent, and I'm going to use this as a segue into our first topic of the day slash night slash episode, Eternal Weekend Legacy was this past weekend. And I got to say, the ELO punters definitely crushed it. Let's fucking go. Um, Daniel, you had a really good experience on day one, right? Talk me through it. Uh, yeah. Um, I chose to play Rug Delver. I actually tried uh, Snow in the Week. Or Should I talk about my deck selection or just the... Uh, yeah, just give me like a couple minutes thing. Uh, just like, yeah, what did you end up playing? And then like, you know, what was your final result? Any yeah. interesting scenarios? Yeah, I played Rug Delver with Uro. Um, in the week, I wasn't sure exactly what deck I, I wanted to play. Um, cause I, I I looked at some snow decks, but I didn't really like them actually. I thought, well, well, to break it down, like the first thing that I noticed was the snow decks was people were playing like weird wind conditions, like Felidar retreat. So I just put Field uh, Field of the Dead instead, and so that actually felt pretty good. And I put like a like meddling mages in my sideboard, and I played like a lot of libraries and veils. And I looked at the Green Sun deck, and I was kind of interested by that, so I tried that. Um, but the, my problem was that the kind of snow decks. Well, the first, the first problem is, is that it's not that good at like pressuring your opponent. Like for example, um, like if your opponent just plays Cavern of Souls Giant or Cavern of Souls Goblins, you know what I mean? Like you don't have a, a great counterplay outside of just trying to pressure them because you have so many reactive cards. It's hard to develop something. But also the mana. I found the mana wasn't that functional because I would have hands that were like Abrupt Decay, Plow, Pyroblast, Brainstorm, two Fetchlands, and like. It was just not functional, or mm -hmm. that happened a lot. Also, there was just, like, I would play, like, my opponents would play Sylvan Library. Like, my opponents would just do stuff, and I would just dartle. Like, there was too much. I didn't like there were so many reactive cards, and I was dirtling so much. I felt the Delver cards were more versatile. But the downside to the Delver deck is that I wanted to play Uro really bad, and Days and Delver uh, don't work as well uh, with Uro as if you have a more controlling shell. I did find Field pretty good, and I thought the Green Sun was pretty good, but I just couldn't tune it because I couldn't like handle the mana base. Like I would lose every game because I was just like didn't have enough energy to handle the mana base, so I just I had to get off that deck. Um, but yeah, I played Rug Delver. I, th I thought about Magmatic Channeler. I thought about Hootie Mandrills, but I just went with Uro because it's pretty simple. Because when I play Uro, I can just put Sylvan Library in the main deck, so I get more sideboard slots. And I got really addicted to Veil of Summer, so I didn't want to lose that. I don't even know if it's good, but I like casting it. It's pretty fun to cast. Uh, and <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I wasn't sure. Like, What matchups is it for? Because I always found that Veil and Rug Delver, there's only a couple matchups where you want it. It's like Thoughtseize decks. Um, I thought it's. And that was like it. I thought it was really good against like combo decks and Abrupt Decay decks, because like if you play against Snow, for example, they kind of have to kill Sylvan Library and Oko. And Veil's really good at protecting it because it's kind of hard for them to kill Oko and Sylvan Library. And then if you protect it, it's like a really good combination at pushing it through and doing a huge push through. Also, I saw people were playing like Doomsday with Thoughtseize and people were playing Show and Tell without Veil. So like Blue, White or Mono, Blue Show and Tell. Um, and you don't have that many cards deciding against combo. I thought it's really powerful. Also, there's like random other blue-black decks. Like you might want to play against random Abrupt Decay decks or, or Ninjas or whatever. 
Um, I thought it's a really powerful card. Um, so I wasn't sure if it was like optimal to play, but it felt like really good, especially against Snow too, and and some of these you know these tight combo decks. Um, but yeah, this thing about Uro, like the downside is it's pretty expensive. But like the the kind of the genesis for it came from I it was actually I, I was like kind of gassing out against some fair decks like Maverick, and like I couldn't use Force of Will that freely. Like Snow's better at using Force of Will. I'm like, man, if I could just Force of Will their spells, it would be easy to win. Or like not easy to win, but I was like, like I found it was harder to win win with Hooting Mandrels. It's kind of hard to uh, evaluate it properly because like the pros to Hooting Mandrels is that it's cheap, but I felt like I could just play a dirty like I could just I wanted a, a way that I could um kind of one for one my opponent more, but it gets kind of weird and murky because Uro is like kind of worse with Days and and kind of worse with Delver, and sometimes it's just really expensive and you just need to impact the board cheaply. But basically, I liked Uro because I thought it was better against combo decks. I thought because I thought like. If I play like Hooting Mandrels, it's not that good, but Uro like lets me just like have access to more counter spells, and if they have their own Uro, it's better, and it's like harder to be isolated with it. Um, but it's kind of hard to evaluate exactly. Also, it lets you kind of play more sideboard slots because I can main deck two libraries more easily. I also thought it might be good in the mirror, like they can Colossus it or whatever, but Uro is just a very good card against Rug Delver, sort of, if you have mana. I mean, it's hard to evaluate exactly, but yeah, I just liked Uro, and it, it performed decently, and... I, I couldn't, uh, you know, I tried a magmatic channel list out of basic mountain and basic island so that I could fetch because I got tilted by getting wastelanded one time. So, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. How did you finish on, on day one? Uh, well, it's just one day or you mean the Swiss? Yeah, just like, all right, I'm, I'm trying to set you up here, dude. Okay. You got to take what I, I, I'm trying, I'm trying to, how did you I finish went, at the Caracas event? Yeah, so I went 9-1 uh, in the Swiss. I actually lost to Lands. Which I actually got a bit of depression from. Not really. Okay, it's not a, basically Lance is this deck. Well, I guess it's like an in joke with myself. I always say it's like the worst deck in. Okay, sorry if there's any lands, but I'm always like I'm so baffled by the deck. I don't get it at all. I'm always like it's my easiest matchup. Like for example, when I tested the snow deck, I beat like Lance three times in a row. I'm like I can't even count that league because like, I mean I don't know if that's too too toxic to the Lance community, but yeah, Lance is like this deck. I'm always like it's it's like a the deck that I always view as one of the weaker decks in the format and i lost to it so i'm like that's justice right there like i lost to lands um <laughs> valakid exploration is really good so and uh so yeah i lost to lands in the swiss i played like a lot of mirrors i think i played uh four or five rug delver mirrors and i played against a grixis delver deck that had scourge of the skyclaves um and i what else did i play against i played against a reanimator deck and i played where yeah, that game got a bit crazy. I mean, I hope the person who I played against isn't in the chat because they might get depression from that match because I beat them by submerging their Grizzle brand in some really loose sequences. But uh, wait, you brought in submerge uh, yeah. What do you mean? They have Xanit Swarm, guys. You guys need to relax, dude. It was actually a cosmic move, okay? And I hear this out. So what happened was they had Xanit Swarms. I surgicaled them, and I saw Xanit Swarm. So submerge. I'm like, this is an answer to Xanit Swarm, but also it's going to be a blue card for four. So it's like a lightning bolt charm. Because you can lightning bolt the thing, or you can just side and submerge. So if they don't draw Xanid Swarm, you can pitch it to force. Or if they do draw Xanid Swarm, you can submerge it, dude. This is kind So you of... only did that game three after you saw that they had a game two. Yeah, I saw that game two. Also, well, I went on Goldfish to look at, like, cyborg plans, because people don't play... And because uh, it was against Wonder Pro, who plays a lot of Congo decks. So I wanted to see their recent reanimated list. And I saw Xanid Swarm, so I think I kept in more bolts. But I'm like, wait a second, I think submerge might be better than bolt. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was kind of like, uh, let's just, like lightning bolts were involved in the, the, like stuff uh, like that. Submerging a grizzle brand. That is one thing I've not done. <laughs> yeah. that, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I, and, um, uh, what else happened? Cause I remember I played against some weird stuff too in the Swiss. Oh yeah. I played against a green sun Zenith snow deck. I hope they're not here because I kind of clocked them. I did a really, uh, 
vulgar flip the script where I was down on clock, but I th it felt really bad. Like I felt really bad because I thought that maybe they were new to moto or they were slower using the F6. I mean, to be fair, I think I started down a few minutes because I was like eating lunch or something. But then, yeah, I was playing really slow because I'm not used to playing on screen sensiness. So I was trying to like think uh, through my lines a bit more than normal because I wasn't used to like knowing, you know, what can happen if this happens. But then basically we started game two and I had two minutes and they had four minutes. But I was like so quick at moto and... And I actually started attacking them with a Delver. It was like a really You started weird... game two with two no, minutes game on three, your clock? No, game three. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I started say, game wow, three. I had two minutes and they had four minutes. And I remember I played game two really badly. Like, I think I, I just spewed so much. But I can't remember exactly. But I remember, like, thinking, like, yeah, yeah, this was horrible. I, I don't remember what it was exactly. So, so you won game three in under two minutes, basically? Yeah, I, I flipped the script on them. Because I started it. I got really aggressive. Like, I sideboarded in, like, one of the most aggressive ways. Like, I sided out all my cards that use time. And I sided in all my cards that don't use time. I've never done that before. Um, so like, I, I forget exactly, but like any card that like had like more than two clicks, I sided out and every card in my deck was cards that were one click. Like I'm trying, which was a pretty fun Wait way. Wait a minute, like, all the useless. Yeah, I cut the arrows, I cut the library. I'm pretty sure I cut, no, I kept the Oko because it's fast enough. But like the way I sideboard is like every card that's one click in, every card that's two clicks out basically. Um, so that was a pretty fun way to sideboard. And I got really aggressive because I couldn't just win by like F6ing, that wouldn't work. So I had to get really aggressive, but I wasn't casting ponder, like I had ponder in hand. It was, it was pretty weird, but. They basically got pretty aggressive with the Delver, so they actually had to do something. I almost killed them with the Delver. Like, I probably... I had Ponders in my hand, but I wasn't casting them. Like, if I cast them, like, I probably could have won. Like, I think I would have won that game normally, because I... I um, but, like, I just wasn't casting Ponders, because I was so low on clock. And then, like, the... the Anyway, so I ended up timing them out. So there was some, like, loose games happening in the Swiss. Let's just put it like that. And uh, I'm trying to think what else. I played a lot of Delver Mirrors. Um, but, yeah, that was the Swiss. And then we moved to the top eight, um, which went pretty well for me. I played against... Uh, it started around 1 or 2 a.m., can't remember. I remember I played against GPA. In yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Actually, that's one of the things that I, I, I noticed about these events is that, like... So, Bob, I don't know if you remember, but the year that you won Eternal Weekend was one of the first years where they actually, like... It, it was like it was like 11 rounds of Swiss in one day, right? And they were intending to do the top eight the same day. But do you remember, like, the Swiss finished at, like, 1 a.m. or something? So they're like, all right, we have to push the Swiss to, like, the next day. We're forced to do that. And they didn't do that for this Magic Online event. And also the times for these Magic Online events were so fucking crazy. Like, and so that what and what ended up happening was like, you just have like these like 13 hour stretches if you did well, where you were just only playing Magic. And like, I, I don't know, that was definitely like one of the more endurance testing events that I've played in personally. And even though it's like from the luxury of my, my gaming chair, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's still like, holy crap. Like, I, I don't know, I, I could definitely feel like the, the thump thump. Like, the fatigue kicking in, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I'll say um, I still got the cereal box that I was chewing on that night in my room because I haven't got rid of it yet. So. <laughs> I remember I was, like, I need, I need, I was drinking, like, a lot of orange juice, and I wanted to eat, so I got, like, a cereal box, and I just brought the whole cereal yeah, box yeah. to my room, and I was just uh, eating from it. What is the cereal box for, of champions? That well, I was uh, cinnamon apple flavored Cheerios, and there was also, like, Frosted Flakes. They were, like, in the same, because the Frosted... It was like some like corn flakes. Wait, you combined the two? No, it wasn't combined. It was, it was like it was like a quarter of. There was like there was just like a little bit left of each, and they were in the same box for some reason. Damn. Oh, what the hell? That okay. sounds like you combined them. <laughs> yeah, right. No, they like... weren't combined. There was like a little <laughs> bit of of one like like so. I was eating the apple one, and when I when it was done, I, I looked, and there was another plastic bag under it, and it was like a little bit of corn flakes. So let's just say. <laughs> what the? from from the mind that brings you Uro in Delver cinnamon apple Cheerios like God, all right, I could definitely hear it now too like that's all right all right two five head for me two five head for me so in the top eight like you played against uh yeah, I feel GPA. like you played against yeah JPA and, and um, Patel. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, Tarek. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Like, that was... That's like a stacked top eight roster. To be. And then, like, the last, the finals was against, like, Patrick Green, too. So, that's like a like a back-to-back-to-back, like, nonstop. Uh, hit me. What happened? So, yeah, I played against GPA. And um, I think these matches might be... I don't know if I should say anything about... I don't know. Let's just say coverage. I don't know if I should say. It might be on the Eternal Weekend coverage. I don't know if we should delete this. I don't know if it's breaching the contract. <laughs> I think it's okay. I think people yeah. are allowed so, to yeah, the matches, like, skip I, this part if they really don't want to know yeah, what you, happened. You can see so more details there, but I could give a brief rundown. I think I actually made some mistakes against GPA. It was painful because I, I had to re-record the matches and I had to like, you had to like watch my own well, it was like at 3 a.m., so I forgave myself or whatever, but yeah, they're, they're not navigated perfectly, but anyway, to get into the game, um, he was playing four-color snow or five-color snow, no no green sun. It was a traditional old-timey list from the old times um, before the green sun uh, uh, thing came around. And um, so game one was very, very long. Um, what happened was I was kind of ahead early, but the problem was he had row and he kept escaping it. Actually, in the first game, I think, like, Julian said he thought it's the most arrows he ever saw escaped. I think like there was like 40 or 50 cards in exile between both players. There had been like over 10 arrows escaped. But basically what happened is we, we basically kept both escaping arrow over and over again. But his cards were better than mine because he was drawing like plows and, and, and abrupt decays. And I was drawing lightning bolt and wasteland and days. Um, but the game was kind of close. I ended up down on a little bit of clock. And then in game two... Um, my sideboard blind is pretty good against Snow. Like, I feel like that matchup's pretty good, uh, I think. Like, obviously, you can lose to Oko and Uro and stuff, but I had a couple Veil of Summers that weekend. And so I sided in the Veil of Summers, you know. And I don't know exactly... I noticed you cut Relic. Yeah. So you just have, like, Veil and Clothis. And, and Surgical. Library, basically. Yeah, because I wasn't... So the reason I cut Relic was because since I added Veil and Uro, I thought I had more grind anyway, so I could just play leaner cards in general because I wouldn't run out of cards as much since I'm playing Uro. I, like, I'm pretty, I think Uro is probably better than the monkey against the snow decks. Like, obviously, the monkey or uh, whatever can be fast, but Uro can, like, let you grind a bit. Like, GPA was trying to, you know, plow the Uros and stuff. Like, he was he was on Struggle Street over there, for sure. I hope GPA doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <Am I good? laughs> but, yeah. No, so, uh, yeah, basically, I, I tri- I'm not sure if it was right to trim the Relic, but I felt since I have more card draw, like, I could, I could just have a leaner card in general. I was thinking about Soul Guide Lantern, but... I thought I liked Surgical because if you remove all their Uros, they can't cast it again. Because the thing is, you can play Soul Guide and remove Uro, but then they can just cast Uro again. That's like the best play. So I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, let's just get rid of them all. Like, the thing is, you can kind of sequence Uro around it in the late game, uh, but Relic's kind of clunky. Plus, I got my own Uros now. Like, I got big time graveyard synergy at this point where I'm coming from. Yeah. So, anyway, so yeah, I put a couple of Surgicals in there. But yeah, if people are playing Ground, ground Seal, you got to watch out for those trolls. You might need to change it around because Ground Seal is really good against the, the build I played. But anyway, that's besides the point. So yeah, what happened is basically Veil of Summer was really good against him those games. Like, I remember, I can't remember exact, um, yeah, like I just cast Colossus, like he couldn't really do anything, kind of soloed him both games, I cast Library, uh, you know, I just made sure he didn't stick a win condition, I had Veil of Summer. I actually could feel the pain, his pain at one point, because basically what happened is, um, so I had one, car- I had two cards in hand, and I and three lands in play, and I used Colossus, I exiled a land from the graveyard to make a mana to cast Oko, and I had one card in hand, one green mana up. So I'm like, you know, what? why didn't I, you know, just ping them, you know? And why do I have green man up when I have Fire Blast up? Because I had Veil of Summer, and I could tell he knew it. And he kept untapping and tapping his Abrupt Decay, you know what I mean? Like, he kept tapping his... Dang. And then I just went Veil, I was like, Trollolo, you know, like, Troll dude, like, come on. And and I, I could feel the pain. So, yeah, yeah and yeah, Veil was pretty decent for sure. It's a combo combo card with, uh, with creatures they needed, with, with permanents they needed to remove. And yeah, um... 
Yeah, actually, the game three, like, my hand was double library, uh, force of will, pyroboth, Colossus, or whatever. Or no, oh, no, no, I remember game two. Yeah. Game two, they were both very similar. Game two, my hand was, like, pyroblast, Colossus, force of will, um, dreadhorde arcanist, but I kind of spewed. I think I spewed my pyroblast. I got too aggressive, and I, I could have, like, maybe lost. I made myself get into top deck. I mean, I was very far ahead. Like, if you watch the replay, it looks like I'm very far ahead the whole time, but basically, I got very aggressive with my pyroblast. Like, I pyroblasted a brainstorm because I was playing dreadhorde arcanist, which I think was wrong, and I shuffled away a pyroblast because I wanted to cast spells, which, in retrospect, I think was wrong because he doesn't have really that many threats in his deck. So, in retrospect, yeah. I think I should have just held the pyroblast, been chill, and just kept it for the Oko. Um, but yeah. not not to like dwell on the game too long, but that's kind of where the green sun deck is kind of harder to play against. Like the normal snow deck, so like two two dimensional in that way that you can just so easily like play around what they're doing. But if your opponent's got like green sun, then all of a sudden you actually have to be thinking more about like doing stuff because they could green your sun. Your aren't as good, for example. Yeah, that's definitely something to think about. Um, yeah, but so then in the finals you ended up splitting that, right? Oh yeah, well I, yeah, I played against Tarek in the top four quickly. He was playing Hogak. And he actually got kind of unlucky, or, or maybe, I don't know, he, well, he did not draw me, I guess is a way to put it. He multi four in game two, and um, he could have won, like, if my draw was bad. He played a Hogek pretty quickly, but I had three Delvers in play, so I won with that. And the first game, he, he had two Venge Vines and a Hogak in the graveyard, but he couldn't cast two creatures. I mean, I kind of disrupted him a bit, so I guess his hand could have been, like, Hogak or, like, Lance. Maybe it was just really flooded. But yeah, yeah, he had two Venge Vines and a Hogak in the graveyard, but he just couldn't trigger the Venge Vines. I mean, I was disrupting him. Like, I was, like, forcing careful study. I was, he had Stitcher Supplier. I bolted to Stitcher Supplier, uh, I think, so that he, mm. he couldn't convoke. Like, he went, like, Supplier, Supplier, and then, like, went bolted. And then, yeah, like, yeah. I slowly, yeah, so I think, yeah, he flooded a bit, and then he multi-four, so I won. But the games can be kind of close. Um, I was surprised. Yeah, I mean, I, Hogak is just one of those sort of decks where they can kill you with so little out of out of nothing, and then alternatively, sometimes they can just, like, not have the right card or just like be one card short of course completely uh, you know dominating the the game but uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna transition to sort of like my end of the eternal weekend thing so a little bit shorter but i actually ended up playing in all three of the events um day one i played pemmin miracles because i i couldn't figure out what i wanted to play like in terms of a snow list I, I have one of those problems where i'll look at a snow list and like i'll look at it i'll just be like i don't like this list and i can't tell you why and i'll change something about it and i'll be like i don't like this list and i can't tell you why so i was like all right you know i'm done i'm just not gonna play snow at all i'm gonna play um uh pemmin's list so pemmin is mark eric Vogt. he uh won the last legacy grand prix in bologna uh and his miracle list was doing really really well i watched him stream some of it uh twitch.tv slash pemmin and it was i mean it looked really good especially since like terminus was really good against hogak and that was one of the decks i was expecting into the weekend i ended up going two three drop i did beat hogak twice but then i lost to deliver and then i lost to some other matchups that i was really not expecting to lose to so whatever that that happened day two i roll around and i'm playing snow five colors as usual and i'm just like all right you know whatever happens happens i chose not to stream these this event actually because like i kind of want to just like focus on playing and <clears throat> i think i think it actually like worked out because i actually was able to sweep the field i went 10-0 um in in the uh, eternal weekend uh Rishadon port event but then i promptly died in, in the quarterfinals to the same deck that i beaten in in uh the last round which was mono red stompy so that was kind of interesting uh, also, day three, which was Eternal Weekend, Maze of Ith, I played Snow again because I was like, all right, well, if it, if it worked so well the day before, I might as well do it the next day. And then what ended up happening was I went eight and two, um, which was kind of rough because with, it, so this was really cool. And I think this is something that just like I really want to mention is that this event on Sunday capped out. 
that is a 672 player event that capped out and more people were trying to get in which is why for next week's vintage events watsi actually pumped it up to 1024 slots and i don't think we're actually going to cap out for vintage but hopefully i'm wrong um but yeah, it was it was insane, and I, I thought that only nine ones were going to make it, just mathematically speaking, but because a lot of players dropped from the event, especially maybe at 4-1 or something like that, or X-1 or something like that, uh, early in the day, like, it was possible for some X-2s to make it, and my losses just happened to be to the 10-0 undefeated, oops, all spells player in the Swiss, which is, I mean, just process that for a second, right? Like, Oops, all spells, 10 and 0, ridiculous. And then I also lost to Cloud Post, but they were 9 and 1. So my breakers were absolutely nuts, and I was one of the lucky few to make it into the top 8 at 8 and 2. But then I lost immediately to Hogak with my snow deck, which was sort of like going full circle, right? Like you you, you worry about one deck, and then finally when you run into it, you get knocked out. Um, but, you know, that, that sort of magic. I, I ultimately decided that my my game plan against Hogak was just going to be like to dodge. And when I failed to dodge, I lost. So, you know, that that's kind of what happens. Um, but I did I did make some interesting changes to the list that I kind of think are worth going over. There are two primary things. The first is <clears throat> that I, I decided to play Assassin's Trophy over Abrupt Decay this weekend. Just no Abrupt Decays at all. All Assassin's Trophies. And the reason that I was doing this was, like, there's multiple reasons for it. The first is... Obviously, like if you're if you're part of Legacy, you know that Chase uh, Henson, aka Strifo, is really really good, and his deck, the Strifo pile, has four copies of Assassin's Trophies and no Abrupt Decays. And I think this is really important in some sort of control deck that's trying to go bigger than the rest of the format because Abrupt Decay has some holes, right? There are a lot of CMC four plus cards that are getting played in the format that you just have to answer, and not having that answer. Uh, in the form of Assassin's Trophy, you know, instead you have like Abrupt Decay or whatever, it, it, you, you just lose too many games, right? So this weekend, I was able to destroy many, many numbers of Caracas, many, many numbers of Jace, Karn, like just a, a bunch of different things that I normally wouldn't be able to. And I think that like definitely was a reason for why I ended up um, doing so well. So by the way, like, I did tweet out my matchups and my lists and some sort of notes on, on Twitter. You should definitely check those out. But I played against Rugdelver five times. Does anyone want to take a guess what my record was against Rugdelver? Um, it was 5-0, baby. Let's fucking go. Yeah, I mean, Didn't you top eighted both single events, goddamn so match. I wasn't that surprised. It's kind of spoiled by itself, you know what I mean? You just said your losses, yeah. dude. You spoiled it, man. You said your losses? Uh, well, I'm just, I'm just, look, man, come on. This is my time to shine, all right? Okay. I went 5-0 against Rugdelver with Snow, um, which is kind of interesting because I feel like that means that, like, you know, Daniel does really well against Snow from the Delver perspective. I feel like I do decently well against Delver or, or Delver from the Snow perspective. Did I say that right? I hope I did. Whatever. You get what I'm trying to say. So it's like there's a lot of gameplay to the matchup, a lot of nuance to the matchup. And actually, I played against Daniel's Uro Delver deck in in my, quote, winning in um, for, for the, you know, second top eight. And, like, it was, like, nerve-wracking. The main deck Sylvan Libraries were insane. Uro was insane. I almost thought I was going to lose, but then in Game 3, my opponent came in clutch and mulligan to 5, and I was able to win uh, just off the back of, of a little bit of luck. But, you know, that's that's what these Magic tournaments are at the end of the day, right? Like, you have to deliver as much technical skill as you can, and then you do have to rely on a little bit of luck to carry you across the finish line. So, I'm totally okay with that. Um... But yeah, I think the other thing that I wanted to mention real quick was sort of like how I've been a Shark Typhoon stand for like the past, I don't even know how long. I didn't play any copies of Icefin Quaddle. I just don't think you need that card. It's bad in your bad matchups and it's like not needed to beat Rug Delver. And Shark Typhoon sort of gives you that, it's like, it's like Miracles like 101 philosophy from like back in the day from like Countertop, the Countertop era, which is like, 
you just want to slow the game down, control the board until you can suddenly like put a threat into play that your opponent just cannot deal with, right? So top counterbalance, the purpose of those two cards was to lock out your opponent's ones, stop them from like, you know, just like vibing. And then eventually you'll get to the point where you can just make five or six angels. They're going to die with a bunch of ones in their hand that even if they cast, it won't really matter because like, well, it's like you got angels in play, right? So that's sort of the same deal where I've got like, you know, swords, decay, uh, sorry, trophy, swords, swords, trophy, dead of winter, clean the board, forces, you know, Sylvan Library, gas up, and then finally, when the time is right, bam, make a shark typhoon, a sliver of sharks, and you're just dead, you know, that kind of thing. So this this sort of build of snow that I've been playing is a lot, I mean, I guess I can't put down control, you know what I mean? But it's it's a reminiscent of that, so uh, there's a little bit of theory there. So, I mean, all in all, I think we did pretty well, you know, uh, Elop Hunters uh, for this Eternal Weekend, and, I, and I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, so, so good job to us. Yeah, yeah, Bob too for the moral support, you know? Yeah, Bob uh, was on the bench did. this week. Yeah. Uh, do we want to take a look at the results now and just like talk about some of the decks and some of the interesting observations? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll just make a couple of quick observations since I didn't play and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong anywhere. But um, one big observation, I know you published like basically all the A and 2 lists from... Uh, one of the events, and it was Death and Taxes with the most spots. And so it sounds like uh, Skyclave Apparition is basically giving D&T like a puncher's chance because now they have this instant answer to, you know, Oko, I think is the big one. Um, so that's one thing. There's a lot of fair blue decks in terms of Snow and Rug. Um, the successful combo decks are the creature-based ones. So they're like Hogak, Elves won one of the Eternal Weekends, somehow beating out Oops All Spells. Um, speaking of which, Oops All Spells is kind of another new deck. That people are playing and doing well with so that's kind of what i see as like what's changed uh with zendikar rising yeah and over these events uh i think like for these events too because they're so long and so big it's like the the best decks tend to you know climb to the top for a given challenge you know lots of random things often top eight but for these events it really seemed to like whittle down a little bit and only like the top tier combo decks that we had been seeing before like were the combo decks that were present basically yeah, that's kind of interesting. I want to like sort of start with Skyclave Apparition. So just like on that sort of analysis, right? DNT like rocked it. So XJ Cloud has been working on this new DNT build, which I think is like I don't even know like I can't, it's it's hard for me to explain why. But the first time I played against it, I was like, okay, DNT, this deck's kind of a joke, you know? Like I'm gonna just beat it with my Okos and my Uros. And then he was like, all right, turn two, Spirit of Labyrinth. You can't draw cards. Okay, turn three, uh, you know, Skyclave, take your Oko, and you're so far behind now. And I, I don't know. I feel like Skyclave Apparition, which is, it's kind of weird to think, right? Because it's not it's not a fire card, but, but I feel like it does so much for Death and Taxes, the deck. And I, I don't know. I mean, like, being able to sort of, like, it's it is kind of like a tempo positive way to get rid of cards like uh Oko Uro and then what are some of the other stuff that you know is kind of a headache for 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 DNT? Just I mean just like creatures in general Wish like stabilizing the board. Oh yeah. Dude, did you know that Skyclave Apparition can exile Jace the Mind Sculptor? How messed up is that? If like DNT players call that justice, dude. I I feel like Watsy personally was like, you know what? Fuck it. Put Jace the Mind Sculptor on this list. We need to be give we need to give Death and Taxes players like an out to this sort of thing. So I don't know. Um it's it's nice because now you don't really need to rely on Phyrexian Revoker and those kind of like house of card cards to um 
get rid of like troublesome threats like planeswalkers and whatever uh because when when skyclave apparition dies they don't actually get the actual card back right they get like a xx token that doesn't even fly and giving your opponent a creature from the death and taxes perspective isn't that bad because your deck is literally designed to have better creatures since you're playing equipment and the like so that's that's kind of interesting um what do you what do you guys think yeah i was uh surprised to see how many results the deck has especially i had the impression that some spell-based combo decks would be popular but i agree that skyclave makes it way harder because for example um esper vile which is a similar deck i used to think like yeah they literally can't be oko like that matchup's so uh fine if you can get an oko but now they have an out to oko it's like pretty big um because revoker is not really a, a good answer to oko at all when your deck has filled with removal spells so Sky, yeah, Skyclave just means that they having an out to Oko suits because before it would be like okay, like you just play Oko and it's pretty hard for them to interact with that. I mean, they can flicker wisp it, they can counsel's judgment it, um, they can try and beat it down if they have vials in play. But you know, Oko is just such a good card against them. I mean, now they have a clean out to it. I mean, Skyclave is just a a pretty good card. I mean, I play I play Delver and Snow decks mostly, so I don't know like from all the matchups, but it's just. Uh, you know, it's a good. It's kind of surprising in the way because it's such a fair card in a way. It's like you know, if you, it's kind of like an oblivion ring. You wouldn't think that in this day and age it would do too much, but it just uh, exiling permanent well, is, is very good. It, it generates a token when it leaves, and half the time you can just kill the token with like a flicker wisp or you're playing. You just don't care, like yeah. Fairy Baron. You just don't. You don't care about the token like that. It's a hard answer. It's just like kind of like a council's judgment on a creature kind of a card. It's kind of. It's just a very good vindicate. Like, the removal effect's, like, pretty good, because those cre those decks basically have had pretty bad removal, uh, sort of, if you think about it. Like, those decks, they have a lot of value, um, um, and they can, like, you know, they can get a lot of value with, like, the Recruiter of the Guard and the Stoneforge and the Palace Jailer and the Aether Vile and the Flicker Wisps, but they can have trouble actually, like, removing, like, permanents that aren't, that don't die to Swords to Plowshares, and then, like, their whole engines don't do that much, so it's pretty, it's probably pretty useful for them that they have a removal that can, you know, so, yeah, that seems pretty good. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be totally... I, I'm actually kind of happy that Death and Taxes is back in the meta because I feel like there is some correctional value that the deck can present. And I don't know. I feel like Tribal, just in general, even with like Plague Engineer, like it, it didn't feel like it was doing too well. So I don't know. So just like some hard numbers real quick. So Death and Taxes... Okay, we'll start with this. Rug Delver had five copies, I think, at X and 2 or better in the final legacy event snow only had four copies death and taxes had a whopping seven which is like i don't know just like the deck came out of nowhere so you know mad props to the community for working on it and and i'm pretty happy to see this deck uh moving forward uh bob the next thing that you mentioned was something along the lines of what's uh oops all spells so that's actually that's actually like a kind of interesting thing to talk about oops all spells has historically just been like a really bad deck right like tier five plus almost i feel like the new cards from zendikar rising the boltlands have done a lot of insane work for this deck um like agadim's awakening and then i think it's like oh uh, what is it no it's agadim's like symbiosis yeah exactly i don't, I don't remember yeah seagate restoration you haven't been playing you know zendikar the... limited clearly these are bombs dude do you know the um what is it called the other like the the land shatter skull like i know all of them dude i'm an expert man. oh my god all right well daniel you don't get to answer but what Bob, color do you, you know need, any what of color them? You need. <laughs> uh, i don't know the na land names i know the spell names because those yeah. are what like you usually see on moto yeah yeah um but it's really interesting i feel like 
these lands have just done such a good job at breathing life into another archetype that just wasn't played beforehand. And it's it's hard to pinpoint why. Um, so I'm just gonna like start spitballing here and sort of. I mean, it's pretty easy, right? Like, okay, it's basically like being able to play lands is good. Now they can play <laughs> lands. I, I don't know if you need much more analysis beyond that. Oh, yeah, I guess maybe like permanent mana sources actually do have a lot of value. But like before, like what was the deck playing before, right? Like they were playing like Street Wraith and they were playing like Metamorphose and cards like that. Maybe like Chancellor of the Tangle and all these cards are just completely, they're much well, they can, more. They can play real spells now. Like I see lists with Force of Will, Ponder, Preordain, mm-hmm. Ball Therapy, Thoughtseize. Those are cards that are castable now. I even saw one of the Oops list had Doomsday in the sideboard. So I'm not really sure what they do. I guess they could stack a Belcher kill. Hmm. Uh, wait, actually, that doesn't really work. Yeah, Thassa's Oracle. That doesn't work with Belcher. Um, oh, yeah, they have Thassa's Oracle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I actually kind of like that as a sidestep more than Belcher. Oh, I see. Okay, so they have Doomsday and Belcher. So basically, their plan is to dodge the Graveyard Hate. I always thought it was a huge issue with the deck that, like, hey, say you side into Belcher. Well, you only have four of them. How are you going to find it? Um, say you side into, like, Pack Rat. Well, you still don't really have that many mana sources. So I didn't think the deck had a, a good enough post-board plan against the blue decks. And this list that got 11th place um, in the final Eternal Weekend by Reanimator Fiend, he has, uh, they have Doomsday and Char Belcher in the sideboard. So that's something I'd be interested in. Uh, I know you also tried Doomsday on Arag. Did you, do you have like the same feeling kind of? It just doesn't quite have a good post-board plan. You mean Oops All Spells? Yeah, I, I did try that. And I he, the thing is, is okay, I'm gonna tell you fundamentally, from like a from like an ethical perspective, because I have a degree in ethics and I can speak on that. Um, I just find that okay. I don't actually have a degree in ethics, but okay. Anyways, uh, I just find That's that this kind of for a deck guy who doesn't have a degree in ethics to lie about having a degree in ethics. Wow. Okay. <laughs> when you put it that way, I just find that a deck like Oops All Spells should never be a good de- I, I i just I, something about me does not want this deck to be a good deck you know i don't want it is to it be that much man. worse than black red reanimator you hate having a healthy combo in the meta oh my god dude i think the answer to that question is yes so here here's the reasons why so first off oops all spells is by far the most consistent turn it is much more consistent at turning what turn one in your opponent than uh like regular belcher with like leds and echoes or and black red reanimator having played all three of these decks a decent amount to get a taste of like how much how they play oops all spells hands down was the most consistent and just getting four mana to play and putting an undercity informer or a balustrade spy into play whatever on the stack whatever you want to say um my my issue is is that the highs are so high with this kind of deck where you get your four mana spell you can even mulligan to five and still have a turn like one or two like you know you can mulligan uh, to four and have a turn one dude yeah yeah exactly you know what i mean dark ritual land land, uh Mm -hmm. like dark ritual land lotus petal spy that's four cards yeah exactly uh, and so just like on five, you could even have like a Pactum Negation or a Cabal Therapy for a Force of Will. And that's where I think this like, like this, this deck is capable of such powerful things. But the problem is it's so fucking random. And, and that makes me upset because it's just like, now you're not actually playing magic magic. You're playing just like, like, did I draw a good seven cards to handle what my opponent's going to be doing? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm speaking from a position of like an entitlement here, but it doesn't seem that there's like much strategic depth here. I mean, like, yes, deck building is sort of like a, it's definitely like a thing that you need to be able to do well, and you need to be able to hedge for a deck like Oops All Spells, but it's just like so coin tossy. you know and, what I mean? Uh, I feel like a lot of, 
That's the perfect transition to talk about Bazaar of Baghdad and Vintage. <laughs> <laughs> you can even, you yeah, can even turn know. one on a Malta 3 in the deck if you're on the draw, because you just get Dark Ritual, the uh, Lotus Petal, Spy, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, I don't know, like... I, I don't I don't appreciate how much of a coin toss it is because it feels like what really happens is that the deck either A loses to itself or just like absolutely rolls you. And like you might be thinking, well, I mean, isn't this deck like very good at like it's so all in, all you need to do is like mulligan to your surgical extraction or your mind break trap or your forcible and you're gonna win, right? And I feel like that's just like not really disingenuous, uh, sorry, not really like fair to the deck because having played Oops, I've realized that the permanent mana sources that you get from Agadim's Awakening and Turn Timber Symbiosis actually let you play like a reasonable game of magic where you can like not necessarily like commit all in on, on the first turn, right? Having permanent sources of magic is just important because it allows you to like play magic over the course of the game, right? Like that's what you're saying, like, Bob was saying. That's just like a very fucking obvious thing, but like that changes the, the dynamic of this all-in combo deck by so much because now you get to go like turn one, turn Timber Symbiosis, Xantid Swarm, for example, right? And you still get to keep the mana source for the next turn, which is so ridiculous. Or you can like, there's so many different tools. So if you look at like the, the you know, the uh, Sherwinator who went 12-0 before losing in the finals to, uh, you know, the eventual winner for the event. Their sideboard was just like so many different utility cards. They had Veil of Summer, they had Santa Swarm, they had Leyline of Life Force. That's the one that makes creatures uncounterable, right? I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah. The green Leyline. I, I don't know. It, it, it's creature it, it just, spells are then, uncounterable. Yeah, exactly. And then they also had like you also get like Nature's Claim and Force of Vigor. By the way, you can pitch turn Timber Symbiosis or Force of Vigor, which is kind of absurd. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. It just Energy. feels like the deck can do a lot, and like the type of interaction that exists is not. It's, it's not healthy in my mind. I'm definitely okay with being wrong on this, though. You know, let me know what you guys think if you're listening to this. Just, uh... Unless you think that it's healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I'm definitely... It's not the kind of deck uh, that, you know... I like to play fair decks, uh, usually. I mean, except for in Vintage. I'm, I'm starting... I'm Like, what you're talking about just sounds like my average Vintage experience in the past, uh, I guess, one day. I've, I've played a few leagues... But yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, well, it's the kind of strategy that's, how do you say, it's just a, fl combo decks in general tend to be flawed. I mean, that doesn't mean they're bad or that they can't win, but there's always a flaw, a flaw to them. But when you play a deck like Delver, you just don't have uh, flaws in your deck. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess that's kind of besides the point of health, but it's about the point of having a deck that's really good for winning games. Um, like, even though this deck's so, so busted and unhealthy, it's still, even when you play it, like, you were, or I forgot what you were saying. It's so random. It, it's just, it's, it's, there's flaws in the strategy. There's ways that you can lose that are, uh, I don't know if I have the best way to articulate it, but there's ways that you can lose that are just so, that happen, that will happen a lot and that there's not much you can do about it. So it's kind of a flawed deck, but it's also so powerful that when you play against it, you're just going to get like ruled by it sometimes, even though it's a flawed yeah. deck, uh, in a way. I mean, you can always lose games of magic, um, you know, to like you could play DNT against like you could play a DNT mirror and it could be random in a way, but it's 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 in a different way. Like the thing is, usually you have to think about how you want to use your cards to win the game in a way. Like usually, if you play most matchups, you have to like look at your cards, have a plan. How do you want to use them? But when you play like a turn one combo deck, it's not really in the same way because so much is just uh, casting that that single card. Like even compared to other decks, like if you play Show and Tell or Reanimator or Storm, you have to be like these are my cards. This is how I'm going to use them to win. But the deck's just very uh, two-dimensional in a w in in a certain way. Where I mean, it's not like you don't need to think, but 
to win the game, you uh, you don't need to uh, you know strategize as much, or it, it's so much about uh, having that. I mean, if I played oops, I'd probably be making mistakes. Like I probably wouldn't mulligan correctly, and I'd probably be doing loose plays. But it's just like that's that's I think probably what you mean by like it's so random. Like you don't have to like plan out how you want to use your cards, and then try and you know play a game where you use your cards in such a way to win in that in that fashion. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, also for me, it's like it's also like. I mean, I'm I'm okay with like combo decks being very explosive, but what I'm not okay with is a combo deck that is super explosive, but also just like not very beatable. Like I feel like there, it's kind of like like the Astrolabe scenario, right? Like I feel like there needs to be a cost to like all this. Like power they can sidestep that, the, they can sidestep ley yeah, lines like, and stuff. Yeah, it's so easy to just like find your you know cabal therapy or pact of negation and just like kill them through the hate that they appropriately mulliganed for you know and and that that sort of bugs me but may, may, maybe i just have like um maybe i maybe i need to play more i mean i played like 50 matches with oops already because it's like really fast you get like a league done in like half an hour or something like that which is really nice if you really want to grind tickets but uh i don't know maybe, maybe maybe i'm just not like seeing it completely correctly but um yeah that's just just my thoughts on oops all spells um that on a larger basis though i will say that like trend wise it did feel like spell-based combo did not perform as well as creature-based combo so when we're looking at like doomsday or tes or you know uh, i mean like ant show, show and tell, tell like uh, yeah exactly those those decks didn't seem to perform nearly as well as uh the other decks like like hogak or elves and I death guess. and taxes as a creature combo <laughs> yeah i mean tier one creature combo deck death and taxes exactly um i don't know what, yeah. do, what do you guys think about that why do you think uh sounds like uh we should have some more plague engineers come back i noticed you had a lot of them in your sideboard and it's it's kind of just another win condition in addition to shark typhoon so people don't like that. people don't believe me when i say this but i really think plague engineer is just like better than veil of summer right now I prefer. I would. I, I need Plague Engineer more than I need Oko in my deck. I need Plague Engineer more than I need Astro. Okay, wait, wait. I'm not gonna go that far. I need Astrolabe more than I need Plague Engineer. But like Plague Engineer is easily like. I think it's just better than Veil vale and better than Oko. But maybe that's just from like my well, they're different perspective. <laughs> maybe maybe you don't have space to. Maybe you your essential cards. You don't have space for the Oko. But I see them as just different roles. But maybe you don't have space to play the additional that, veils. That that's ex actually exactly what it is. I think that the role Plague Engineer fills is like can only be filled by Plague Engineer, and it's just like so necessary. Like Daniel, I think you talked about this like when, in one of uh, in the Channel Fireball video that we did. Like necessity is something that is very important when it comes to deck building construction and i feel like plague engineer is like one of those cards you just got to have on turn three in certain situations or you just get rolled like, over uh, like what matchups like, oh, sorry to interrupt oh yeah, yeah. I, I love it against elves and i love it against um death and taxes and like it's just so hard to beat like i played against like merfolk okay cool put two plague engineers into play and then just like fold it over yeah i played against elves you know named uh yeah, what is it called elves. Yeah, just like named elf, I named like insect, I named like dryad. It was it was it was pretty cool. Uh, it's just like so hard to come back from, right? So like, good against the shepherd too. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing too, right? Hellosaur shepherd is just yeah, like shepherd's a, a hard disgusting guard. To guard. If they... Yeah, like it's it's been it's been in the format for a hot second now. Like we talked about it when it came out, but like that card has overperformed, and is you you just have to have answers to that kind of stuff. And plague engineer is just like you know giant middle finger in the air to you, like. I don't know. Yeah, actually, I actually uh, when I was I was I, I tried snow early this week, like Tuesday or Wednesday last week, and I saw your list had like two dead of winters and three plague engineers, which is a lot of wraths in the deck. Uh, so yeah, definitely, I was like, wow, this guy likes a lot of board wipes. 
I mean, compared to the green sun list where it was harder, like to, to play as many board wipes. So I, I thought that was, uh, yeah. Interesting yeah. that you wanted that many. Yeah. Actually, let's, let's talk about that list a little bit. Um, so for those who don't know, it's, it's kind of a regular snow list. Um, but it basically plays green sun zenith and omnath and some of them play decay some of them don't but you guys mentioned how you know there are more angles of attack once you have green sun zenith obviously omnath is one of them what are kind of other reasons uh to play that list and how did you guys like find omnath in general um i yeah i, I thought the deck is more threat dense like i don't like having that many reactive i feel like when you have a lot of reactive cards you're kind of more exploitable but I found having Green Sun, you're still exploited by the same stuff. Like if you play against Cloud Poster, like you're still dirtily and slow. Like Green Sun Zenus, like obviously you can put an Arbor into play. Uh, so then you can get the ball rolling a bit quicker and you can find your threats. But you're still essentially pretty dirtily, um, you know, compared to Delver against combo decks and and various things like that. Like Green Sun's, it's still like, it's kind of good. You can get Leovold, you know, you can get what you need. But it's still, you know, compared to um, faster stuff, it's still going to be dirtly. It's not like you're going to have Green Sun. It's going to be like insane. Um, but yeah, I just like having more threats in my deck, so I had more versatility, or like so that like I could more consistently add to the board, uh, you know. And so I like that. Um, I found the deck performed decently, but it like the mana was a bit wonky, and you play you still play a lot of reactive cards, which are a bit wonky. And also having Drydar working at wonky at times, especially like maybe they randomly submerge you, and that's and that's bizarre. But I found the deck was decent. Also, when you play Green Sun, you have a lot of slots dedicated to Green Sun, so you have less like of those kind of uh can you can't like like Anya was so desperate for slots there he wanted to cut you know like that he was like i can't i don't have room for veil and when you play green sun you're just gonna it's kind of adds not air to your deck but i guess kind of air to your deck when you're trying to fit in a certain amount of uh, hard kind of cards that line up in a in a certain way but as, yeah as a delver player i thought it i felt a bit scary but that's just because the way i play delver is usually when i play in snow i'm like they have like no win cons in their deck so usually the way i play is i just like make sure they can't get their win cons and then i just win by whatever means necessary so my that plan doesn't work if my opponent just has a, a green sun then i have to kind of move into actually like finishing the game and then it's like oh no like now it's harder to play or whatever um i did not like the zenith version so here are a couple things all right like I feel like when I'm building snow, I really do see it from the perspective of more of a control deck. The green sun zenith build is definitely much more of like a mid-range deck, right? Uh, I, I prefer having like the harder control tools in my deck like Dead of Winter, uh, just so I can stabilize from board states that are kind of, I guess, trickier to come back from, right? Like if you Use think about- trips to tempo? Yeah, exactly, right? Like, if you think about, like, what this deck is doing, in general, just snow, right? You've got, like, Brainstorms and Ponders, and you've got Ice Fang Quaddles, right? And, like, you might have, like, Sylvan Library too, for example. These sort of cards don't really impact the board in a very, very powerful way. I mean, like, Ice Fang Quaddle maybe so, but, like, there's definitely matchups where, like, Ice Fang Quaddle is not what you want to be doing. Like, for example, against, like, Elves or Hogak or, you know, like, Echo Stompy or whatever it is. Like, there, there are matchups where Ice Fang Quaddle is not it. And Brainstorm and Ponder sometimes, like, while they do help you develop, you do fall on the backpedal sometimes when your opponent is doing more proactive things, right? So that's why I like having these uh, sort of comeback cards like Terminus and Dead of Winter. And I found that when I was playing the Green Sun Zenith build, it was really hard because cards like Dryad Arbor did not really line up too well against cards like Dread Dead of Winter, you know what I mean? Like, you, you want to go, like, turn one, all right, get my acceleration out, boom, turn three, Uro, turn four, buy it back, or whatever it is, that sort of thing, right? And I don't know, it just, it just felt like it was, like, in the way and... It, it created it exacerbated problems with the deck that already existed in favor of doing 
things better that it didn't really need to do better, right? Like, getting access to Zenith for, like, Leovold is cool. Getting access to Zenith for, like, Knight of the Reliquary is cool. But, okay, maybe the Leovold you do need, but, like, I don't think you really need the Knight of the Reliquary accessibility. I don't think you really need... What's up? Oh, sorry, that was... No, sorry to interrupt. Uh, well, it's, sorry, it's not okay, that you okay. need it. It's that it's a finisher. You want a finisher. Yeah, yeah. And it's I, like your and that, that's a good retreat. point. Yeah, I think that's a good point. But I also feel like the deck is the deck can be reasonably good at finishing anyways when you've got cards like Uro. I mean, Uro no, 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 is just no. such a stupid card. It's the same role. It's the same role. Because the one you play is control decks. What happens is you can draw your whole deck and you want one and treat the angels so that you win. So Knight of the Reliquaries and treat the angels. Like, it's the same thing, like... Or, you heard it here first. They're both redrops, right? So, now, what, I mean, what happens blue is... Blue mages in are literally decks, rolling over in their graves. Yeah, what happens is in control decks... That. No, it's just, it's like a simple roll. It's like, you draw your whole deck, and you want to have a... And you want to have a card that makes, like... It finds Field of the Dead, so it's it's the same roll as in Treat the Angels, because what happens... Yeah, you just draw your deck, and you just want one card that's going to make a battlefield that you can win from any situations, versatile. Like, yeah, that's what... Mm -hmm. I like Field of the Dead and Snow. I mean, we could talk about that later. Like, I'm interested why you're not, you don't play. I think Field of the Dead seems really good, but I don't play I, I think it's actually just not that good. I mean, so, I, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this as well. I think Felidar Retreat is also not good in Snow. I tried both... I tried Felidar Retreat. I didn't try Field of the Dead, but it, I think it's got the same principle, oh. basically. Um, I just don't think it's powerful enough. Like, it's good when you draw it, like, you know, at the right time in the right place. And I guess maybe having the Green Sun Zenith package facilitates getting it when you need it. But I definitely think that, like... Shark Typhoon is just, like, a better option because not only, like, does it, like, trigger off, like, like your natural game plan of Ponder and whatever, and, like, it's really good if you force it well, heaven, heaven forbid, right? Your fucking sharks fly. Do, do you know how fucking terrifying that is if you have, like, flying sharks attacking you? Just, like, think about it. Yeah, dude, I've been playing zombies Pioneer, are cool, man. but they're pretty cliche. So. Yeah, but don't, well, but don't you yeah. play Felidar Retreat in your deck? No, I, I cut it. Okay, I you cut it. You don't play anymore? Uh, yeah, I like... Yeah. I mean, the thing about shark, it's, like... It's just you want a win con, you put one win con in your deck so that when you draw a bunch of cards, you can make a huge battlefield. That way it makes your deck versatile so that you don't need to yeah. have to care about stuff. So you just put one field I in agree. your deck. It's the same thing as Entreat the Angels, same thing as uh, Felidar Retreat. You put this one card in your deck, and then when you can draw your deck, you can make a bunch of tokens. It's not about the card, you know what I mean? It's just like a lean card because Synergy with Astrolabe, Synergy with Uro, they can't counter it. But that's the role of the card. It's... I'm going to draw my deck, and I want one card in my deck. Like, maybe Shark Typhoon's a better win condition. I never tried Shark Typhoon. But, um, yeah, that, like, feel of that. It's like, I'm going to draw my deck, and I want one card that's a win con. It's like, I'm not going to play Jace, you know, or, like, like in, in that role. Like, I just want one card that I can actually win the game so that it can make my deck, mm -hmm. like, versatile if I'm playing against, like, lands or something grindy or yeah. I'm just drawing my deck. And that's it's something that just goes dead. over the top. It's I, not like, I definitely agree with yeah, you. Yeah, it's not supposed yeah. to be a good rate. It's not like, oh, here's my Field of the Dead. It's, like, so good. Like, it's just I want one card that's a win con in my deck and Field of the Dead seemed like a lean win con to me. Like, maybe there's maybe Shark's better, maybe something else is better. But that's, it's not no, meant I, to be I, a good, good like on rate that. card. Yeah, I think I like that just having access to some sort of, like, like, yeah, just like a control finisher. Card. Like, l let me walk you through a perfect example of, like, how this applied, right? So I played the Snow Mirror um, against Zio Francone, who's a very good Italian player. And, like, I, I destroyed them because all I did was Caracas, okay, Bouncer Uro. Caracas, Bouncer Uro. Caracas, Bouncer Uro. And, like, they get to draw cards, but, like, they lost to literally a singular land, right? Their Oko's traded with my Pyroblast and Decays, and they had nothing else after that. And I was just like, okay, cool. And then when they played their Caracas, I was like, all right, trophy that, you're dead. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I do like having some something like that that just, like, allows you to bypass all the bullshit and just kill your opponent. Something that is just so uncomebackable from that, like, you know, 
it, that's what merits the sign. Field of the Dead is pretty lean, actually, now that I think about it, taking up a land slot, although I do have some reservations about, you know... Well, you don't play it over, like, an island in your deck. The thing that it's a land means that when it's in your hand, you can put it into play with Uro, it's going to be lean with Astrolabe, and then it's just going to help you, uh, you know... It's just... You just put... Like, it's very good with Uro, since you just put it in play with Uro, and since uh, Astrolabe filters the mana, and since you put it as an extra... Because if you had a spell in that slot, you can have hands where it's, where it's dirtly, it's also uncounterable, so you don't have to, like, get a counterfight over it. Obviously, it doesn't mm -hmm. have the biggest explosive impact, but the fact that it's a land means it's lean. Like, I don't want to put Felidar Retreat in my deck. Like, uh, maybe yeah. it's good, but that card seemed pretty loose to me. Like, I didn't even think that card was good in Standard, basically. Like, I was playing Standard, and I, like, I thought that card was bad and overrated in Standard, you know what I mean? So, but, I, I mean, that might be a, a bad uh, way to articulate, but I just, it's just not a card I that think appealed it, yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. Like it, Felidar Retreat works really well with like Uro, and if it, like, you have to draw it at the right time, right? Like, if you draw it on turn four or five, it's good, but then, like, games actually go so long when you're playing like snow that sometimes you act, you run out of lands to you know proc your felidar retreat and in that sort of situation it's just like well this is not this is not that sort of inevitability that i desire you know what i mean like i mean yes you could run out of spells for shark typhoon but that's a lot less likely to happen plus you can always just cycle shark typhoon too if you're in the yeah, just situation. so lean that you just put field into play with earl i mean i haven't played a lot of snow though it's just like theory crafting but it's so lean you just cast earl and you just put it into play and then you yeah. have Astro like that's that's lean to me compared to having spells because you always want to put lands into play with Uro and that, that's just lean to me that uh, compared to the other win conditions. But maybe Shark uh, or what or anything else could be better. But it just seemed very appealing to me. I was very mm -hmm. surprised people weren't playing Field of the Dead. I saw Mick Winsauce actually played the Field of the Dead in the green side and he said it was good for him. And I played a, a yeah. league or two and I thought it was pretty good. I just thought it was interesting. It's not played that much. Like I, I definitely think like if I was playing Snow, I'd be looking into it more. It's just so lean uh, as a yeah. Mm -hmm. maybe it's worth a okay. try yeah we well i think we've been going decent chunk i do want to kind of touch on like kind of one more topic before we wrap which was vintage eternal weekend we already alluded to it a little bit daniel and i have been playing kind of the bizarre hollow one deck um so i think that's a deck to beat uh, i think sultai is uh kind of putting up the most results i think that followed. deck is hot trash by the way sultai oh yeah me too, like me too dude. we're best friends like, I mean, it, it doesn't get, like, Pyroblast, so it, it, like, loses to the blue decks, but it can beat a lot of the other decks. But I think the other decks are starting to adjust to it as well. Yeah, if there's one thing that I've learned from playing Unfair decks in Legacy and Vintage is that when you have the option to do Busted Broken shit, you probably want to be doing Busted Broken shit. And, like, I get like I get it. Collector Oof is good against certain decks and certain strategies, and Leovold is a very powerful card. But, like, I, I just it's just, like, it just feels like... You're you're literally handicapping yourself while your opponents are playing on like Cloud Nine and just doing like the the things. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you could literally have Black Lotus every turn in the form of Mishra's Workshop. You could literally kill your opponent on turn two with like Oath or Breach or something like that. No, you choose instead to like play three mana play two, like two that like sometimes wins the game on the spot, but other times yeah, just like that's one of the good cards, cards in the deck, that, like, dude. Collector is like the best card in the deck. You're not even naming their bad cards. Mm, yeah, I've thought yeah. about. I've thought. Yeah, also I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Wing Tusar and Jacob his boss because they were the ones who built that uh, Kroviki Horror that, nonsense. Yeah, the yeah. Horror deck. I've seen them been tweeting about it. I've been net decking. I've been putting my decks in the net. But yeah, I just want to say yes. about Saltai. Like I just looked at Saltai and I just didn't understand the point of it. Like what's Tarmogoyf does nothing. Like okay, like I know people like uh, Saltai, but like how do I put it? Like I didn't understand how Tarmogoyf and Deathrite do anything. Like, everybody's, yeah, killing on turn one, two. You can play Workshop. You can play Bizarre decks. You can play Doomsday. You can play PO. And, like, I, I did not understand the point of 
Like Tarmogoyf doesn't like people are basically casting like this, the, the way I saw Vintage. Like I haven't played it a lot, but the way I saw them, like you cast Ancestral and you you cast all these busted draw spells and you have a ton of mana and you can do whatever you want. So I did not see the appeal to playing Tarmogoyf for Death Rage Shaman at all. I'm like, you can draw a bunch of cards and do a bunch of busted stuff, or you can play like a bizarre, like a more restrictive, like non-blue deck. And I'm like, I like Doomsday because it's a lean win condition, or like maybe it's like that's hard to hate out. But like I did not get the appeal of Tarmogoyf. I did not get at all what it's supposed to be good against like obviously you cast like it feels hard to win with like when you play vintage you don't have a lot of space for win conditions because you have so much you're playing you have so much good disruption you have so many lands you have so many so much mana in your deck you have so much card draw so when i want my win condition i want my win condition to be busted too like playing doomsday or a bizarre mm -hmm. deck or whatever but playing tarmogoy for death right it seems hard to win with those decks like they're not lean compact win conditions um i don't know if like some vintage experts are gonna like uh you know cringe when they hear this you yeah i mean i know some people like i like i have a couple of friends who are playing it one of them said he tried uh he tried the the list and he didn't like it another one said they liked it but also there's also like the four color xerox deck that has like red and six and dac that's pretty similar because it's basically the sultai deck but they just have red too or there's like different fair decks but i just like the when i see those decks it's just like yeah you don't have like like i said like you don't have a lot of space for win con like i haven't played the deck so my opinions could be wrong or the format a lot but it's like you don't have a lot of space for win cons and when you do play a win con they can be so good like people are like not playing so many busted cards like i saw rugved uh showed a list i don't know if i should and he wasn't even playing digs for time and treasure cruise in his blue deck like that's like how how level of busted we are we can play so many good cards and so i want to really be making sure that all my cards are you know really good at with all the considering all that stuff and and so i didn't really get the appeal of that like it just seemed hard to win with like it seemed like such a labor to mm -hmm. win with a Tarmogoyf and Vintage when everybody's ancestraling and boxing. So yeah, Anurag, I know you were playing with Oath, uh, with Out Oath Outcome. Um, are you still going to be testing that deck for this weekend, or are you on to other stuff? So basically, uh, the two variations of this Oath build. I think Oath is actually really good. Ved has convinced me. Ved basically designed this deck, built this deck. Um, I think there may have been like a historical precedent for it, like Burning Oath or something, but he like basically took it and pivoted it to you know exploit certain metagames and I'm, I'm really like happy with like you know where his brain is and how he's like sort of innovating uh in this format yes i'm probably going to be playing some sort of oath variant just because that's what i've been playing lately and that's what i'm sort of used to and like you know like vintage for me personally is not the format that i'm super spiky about i am just happy to play games of vintage because i find it fun to have all these like busted cards and do silly things you know like black lotus hard cast gross brand okay i'm laughing are you no probably not but you know like that's that sort of stuff right like i, I think it's just kind of cool to like like live the dream for a little bit it doesn't have to be something that i'll like pursue but anyways for that reason i would just like to play something within my comfort zone even if it's not necessarily the best deck uh I, I know what's going on there, and I like playing with a lot of the cards in the in the deck. Like Underworld Breach is like one of my favorite cards, uh, so I play it. Simple as that. Um, oh yeah, you're yeah, you're I ranting, think... oops, but you love Underworld Breach, dude. And you're all confirmed hypocrite. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of double facedness going on here, but but actually in Vintage, I think that Underworld Breach is not nearly as powerful because uh, you don't have Lotus Petal or Line Side Diamond, which definitely changes the the dynamic of it all. Um, I do want to stress something though, which is like, so we talked about, uh, like the breach deck. We talked about some sort of like shops. Did we talk about what else did we talk? We talked about the Krovican horror deck, that Krovican horror deck, or just in general, like Holovine, I think is kind of cool. Cause it to me is like the Delver deck of the format where you just put like insane amounts of pressure in play. Then you have like seven forces or whatever. It really does make me respect squee goblin to Bob a lot. Uh, that card is just absurd in that deck. Uh, when you combine it with the Bazaar of Baghdad. But there, I guess there's also like other ba uh, Baghdad decks, right? Like you've got Hollow, not Hollow. You got Hogak, uh, Hogak. deck and the Dredge. Yeah, yeah the Hogak yeah, deck. Yeah, yeah, and then like Dredge, yeah. 
And so those are some decks that would be interesting to to test out if you're a fan of like just like I don't know like graveyard esque strategies. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a sentence. I yeah, to me, I think like wasteland's just a super important card in the format. So I feel like if I were playing fair, I would definitely want to be playing wasteland just because like a lot of these decks can just fold to a single wasteland. So either be playing super fast combo or play wasteland, but I guess all the decks are already built that way. Anyways, yeah, Wasteland's very good oh, against yeah. Bizarre for sure. Yeah, but that's a sentence I never thought I would hear. Underworld Breach isn't as good in Vintage. <laughs> I know. I guess yeah, maybe, 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 and maybe coming it's from the true, person that loves the card too. So. Uh, my opponent used it to cast. They cast it. I'm like, oh, they can't do anything. They don't have mana. Then I get Taxian Probe. It's a machine gun with Taxian Probe, dude. It's synergy, synergy. <laughs> yeah, you should all like five cards. No, no. no. Imagine um, if Probe was legal when Breach was printed in Legacy. Now that would have been funny. Mm-mm. Don't say it. 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 Don't say Wait, it. does it work? Actually, I don't even know if it works. I just assumed it worked, but it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. You that, can, that's you can absurd. Buy back probe dude, for just zero probe, mana. Probe for ex- It's like exile three cards, draw a card, pay two life. Like that is so absurd. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could also just like buy back ancestral recall like nine times and then win that. Yeah, way but the thing is, you have so. no mana. Like you can like have no mana and just cast breach and get probe and like start drawing cards. Like you know what I mean? Like ancestral, you seem to pay one mana, dude. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool i was just shocked right, by the well, probe yeah that is a lot to catch up i mean that's like a this has been a chunky episode and we've talked a lot about this past weekend for for legacy content uh and this upcoming weekend for vintage content i'm kind of curious i want to know what you guys might be playing if there's anything that you're interested in uh and let me know if you guys have any questions let us know if you have any questions or thoughts uh you know where to reach us at twitter I think it's at Elo Punters. Ah, look, man, it's it's been a while. Okay, we uh, we will be back again in a, in a second. Like Bob mentioned, the next episode we'll try to do in like three or four weeks or so. We're gonna slow down the pace a little bit, but we're really glad that you guys are able to still hang out with us and enjoy the content that we're putting out. So you know, keep up the lookout for um, the updated guides that uh, that uh, Daniel and I will be putting out. Bob has got these metagame updates that he's still shipping out, which are kind of important, I think, just to get a good guy. Uh, gauge on what's going on on that note that's the three of us checking out we will see you in the next episode bye peace